Today, we are going to continue and actually wrap up a series that we've been on about Abraham. And you're thinking, well, how in the world does Abraham relate to the resurrection and the gospel story? I just want to let you in on a secret. It's all the gospel story. God has been telling the same story from the beginning all the way to the end. The story of salvation, the story of his son, the story of hope that can only be found in Jesus. Would you take a second to pray with me as we hear from God's word today? Father, we do ask that you would speak to us today, that you would fill us uh, with the knowledge and understanding of your word, that you would move us from a place of, of maybe rejection or overlooking the truth and come to a place of faith. Faith that changes our lives in the day-to-day aspects, the pressures that we face. God, give us resurrection hope in everything we do. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the question I begin with today is just, do you have resurrection hope? Do you have resurrection hope? And what in the world is resurrection hope? Well, the truth of the matter is, most of us might have some hope, you know, that maybe things will get better, maybe things will be different, maybe things will work out the way we would like, but resurrection hope, that's something different. Resurrection hope is something, a confidence that we have because of what God has already accomplished in his son Jesus, that no matter what the trials or the issues in this world we might be facing, we know that he will get us through. We live in a world that, quite frankly, might be feeling a little hopeless. I think we ran out of letters for the, for the different variants for the COVID, right? Are we, what are we on? Omicron BA 2.5 prime or something. I mean, we keep adding, and it's frustrating because we keep thinking, well, maybe now, well, maybe summer it'll get like, well, maybe. And then there's the inflation stuff, right? Anybody feeling that a little bit? And all of a sudden, man, the gas prices went down. And I was so excited about that. But apparently that ended yesterday. Anybody run to the pump? I did. You know, it's like, oh my goodness, now the gas prices are back. And then, of course, there's the war that we see every single day. And then you talk to my friends, I talk to students, I talk to more and more, and it's just over and over again, the anxiety, the depression, that I just don't see. And it feels like a world without hope. In the New Testament, one of the main writers is the Apostle Paul, who did not believe in Christianity, did not believe in Jesus. In fact, he did everything to take Christians and throw them in jail. He thought they were a cult, they were fanatics, and he wanted to oppose Christianity until he met the resurrected Jesus. And here's what he writes in a letter to a group of Christians in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you might know the hope, the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and don't miss this on the next slide, verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as when his mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Do you understand this prayer? He says, for most of us, most days, most circumstances in our life, we miss this. We're walking through life, we're depressed, we're frustrated, we're tired, we don't know how we're going to make it through, and we don't think this world is going to get any better. 
And yet he said, no, 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 no. I want something to happen to your eyes. I, I, I want them to just have the clouds removed. I want you to see his, this hope that he's called you to, this inheritance, this thing that we as believers share, this thing that belongs to us. I want you to see it. I want you to know it. What is it? It's the power of his mighty strength that just like he exerted in Christ Jesus, it belongs to you. Why? It's not strength to be the superpower. It's strength to endure, strength to make it through, and strength to know that God will handle it all. That God has already gotten us through and will get us through to eternity. This is the hope that he's talking about. Do you have resurrection hope? He prays that you would know it. In 1 Corinthians 15, he also writes to these some other Christians about this hope, and he says, look, now, if this is fake hope, if this isn't real hope, if this is something that, that's just sort of for today, he says, then it's no good. In verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if in this life only we have this hope, we of all people should be pitied. But Christ has indeed raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. There are some of you who are listening today that Christianity is just like your little like religion of family or heritage or, you know, tradition. You know, it's Easter. What do we do? We get together, the grandkids come over, we have some celebration, we paint some eggs, we go to church, and it's kind of like, okay, this is Easter, maybe we have a ham or a turkey, I don't know, do you have ham? ham? Whatever meal you want to have and you celebrate, and it's like fun to be, to celebrate spring and maybe have some hope. The Apostle Paul wants to tell you, no. That is pitiful. In fact, people should pity us if we, all we have is sort of a false hope, a belief in somebody who we say died and rose again if he didn't die and rise again. But Jesus has, in fact, he says, risen from the dead. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness and his resurrection from the dead. If he is not alive today, go do something else. Believe something else. Follow something else. Because this brings no guarantee, no hope. But today, as we'll see, that the resurrection hope has always been a part of what God is doing. It's always been a part of what God has guaranteed. In fact, it's rooted in this entire story that spanned over 2,000 years of God revealing himself to people, God showing himself to people, and he has always promised in it there would be a Messiah, there would be a Savior, and he would rise from the dead. Let's take a look at it. In Psalm 16, the prophet David, the king David, he says this, therefore my heart rejoices and is glad my tongue rejoices and my body will rest secure because you God will not abandon me to the dead nor will you let your faithful one or your holy one your Messiah anointed one you will not let him see decay in the book of Acts when the apostle Peter one of Jesus's first followers one of the people who saw Jesus from the dead very first this is the passage he quotes and he said by the way David's dead we have his tomb right here in Jerusalem. We can go by and visit today. We know where he's buried. His body has decayed. It's been a thousand years. There's nothing left. The bones are starting to break apart. There's nothing left of him. He decayed. But David was speaking about the Messiah, the faithful one, the anointing one, the one who would come, Jesus Christ. It was prophesied by David. In Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah, who spoke about how Jesus would pay for sins, also talks about his resurrection. Look in chapter 53 of Isaiah, verse 11. It says, after he, the Messiah, the Savior, has suffered, suffered on the cross, he will see the light of life. 
and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify, will take care of the sins, will pay for the sins, and he will bear their iniquities. It's always tied together. Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' death, and the guarantee that he's going to be alive, that he's coming back. This is not just our story. This is not just our fable. This is not just a myth. This is the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is a new reality that belongs to us today because we serve a risen Savior. The craziest thing, I think, is that we see the resurrection promise, even in stories like Abraham. We've been spending nine weeks on this guy, and we've seen how God called him to be faithful, called him and promised that through Abraham, all the nations would ultimately be blessed, and they were blessed in Jesus. We've seen that story, but there's one story about Abraham that is the weird one. It's the story that all the theologians have problems with. It's the stories that all the ethicists bring up and kind of go, oh, this doesn't look so good. How in the world could a loving God ever say something like this? This doesn't make any sense. But in this story, God, in the very first book in Genesis, 2,000 years before Jesus would walk on this earth among us, 2,000 years ago, God foreshadows the resurrection of Christ. So get ready. The story is full of, res- full of foreshadowing. Let's take a look. It says that God tells Abraham, who had waited a hundred, well, I don't know if he started it, but when he was a hundred years old, he finally had his son. And about the time his son's around 11 years old or so, it, it had been 111 years, he'd been waiting for this promised son. God says to him in Genesis 22, take your son, your only son whom you love, the only one, and go to the region of Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Now, this, you understand why the ethicists go, oh my goodness, what in the world would a loving God be doing asking someone to sacrifice his one and only son? I'm always asking, doesn't God know he has another son? If you remember several weeks ago, we talked about Hagar and the son Ishmael. He has another son. Did God forget Sometimes when you bring me your children to me, I don't remember their names. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I really try to remember all their names. I really do. And sometimes I just forget. I, I re- God does not forget. God did not forget about Ishmael. God did not forget. But this was foreshadowing. Because Mount Moriah would be the exact same place that the city of Jerusalem would be built. It's the exact same place where Jesus would ultimately be crucified. And this son, only son, is exactly what Jesus is referring to when he said, for God so loved the world. Look at John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would put their faith in him would not perish but have everlasting life. When God says, sacrifice your one and only son whom you love, he's really referring to his own son, Jesus. It's foreshadowing. Well, Abraham crazily obeys. He's learned to trust God in this point. He's learned to have faith. And it says early the next morning, Abraham got up. He loaded his donkey. He took with him two servants and his son Isaac. And he cut enough wood for the burnt offering. And he set out to the place that God told him about. Verse 4. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, you stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We're going to worship and then we're going to come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, 
placed it on his son Isaac and carried the fire and the knife. The two of them went on together. Do you feel the tension growing in this story? Will God really require of this? Is this really what's supposed to happen? He places the wood on the sun. And again, the foreshadowing happens. John chapter 19 tells us of this story uh, that, that we just sung about, that carrying his own cross, Jesus, the Son of God, went out to the place called Golgotha, uh, the place of the skull. There they crucified him with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle, carrying his own cross. Isaac, that symbol of the one who would be like Jesus, carrying this wood. And what happens? They get to the mountain, and the boy's looking around going, <clears throat> Dad, uh, father, yes, my son Abraham replies, the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And the two of them went on together. Now, is Abraham lying? Does Abraham have faith? We're not so sure. But here's what we do know, that every time we see Jesus pointed out, the scripture calls him the Lamb of God. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, looks at him and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's foreshadowed that there would be a sacrifice, that there would be one who would come and take our place. Well, in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 2, it says, when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham, he built that altar there. He arranged the wood. He bound his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood then he reached out his hand, he took his knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out to him and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram. A ram caught by its horns. He took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Did you see it? Did you see how in Genesis 22, all the way the, the, the beginning of the people of God, this first man called out to be a blessing that God all the way through was foreshadowing, saying, I am going to send my son. He is going to be the substitute. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And for us as believers in Jesus Christ, we believe that Jesus on that very mountain took our place as the Lamb of God. He became a substitute for our sins. He became the one who bore all the burdens. He became the one that took on all of the wrath of God. He is the one who died in our place as that substitute on the mountain of the Lord. It was provided. That's not what the sermon's about today. That's just on the side. But maybe for you, that's the part that convinces you. Okay, let's just be confessional here. It's a little bit hard sometimes to say, I believe someone rose from the dead. Especially as I was a younger Christian. Now, I had been to seminary. I was pastoring. I was on a college campus. I was doing my master's degree in philosophy. I was spending time explaining to students every week about Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. And every time I would say it, I'm like, do I really believe someone rose back from the dead? 
It kind of like reminds me of the guy that kept telling me he has a unicorn that lives in his backyard. I, I, could it really be real? Is it really true? I mean, people don't just, I've never seen it, you know? None of us have. A real person risen from the dead, glorious, never to die again. What does that mean? How could I believe this? Is it really true? Until one summer, God just kind of left me and him. And in that time, we read the scripture all the way through. And I mean, I read it in six weeks. It was just kind of just me. I mean, all I did was read Bible. I just had to know. I had to know the truth of this. I had to know if it was real. And that's when God put it together for me. That's where I begin to see all of the connections, how God has been foretelling the same story over and over and over again. That's when God convinced. From that day, I haven't doubted. I haven't doubted since. And I'll tell you why. And I've doubted myself. I've, I've been sad because of my own sin. I, I, I've questioned my own faithfulness absolutely on a daily basis. But I've not questioned his. Why? Because I saw the evidence. I saw that God had been telling the story all the way through. That God's promises were fulfilled. That God had made a way. And it's all about his son. And he's been prophesying these events, this history from the very beginning. Sometimes I think we don't have confidence to tell others about Jesus because we don't know his word. We don't know his evidence. Today, if you've been reading with us in Luke chapter, uh, in, in our 50 days in reading the gospel of Luke, you read, you read about what? You read how Jesus opened the minds, the, resurrection, the resurrected Jesus opened the minds of his disciples so they could understand the scriptures. He said to Cleopas and the other, he said, how slow of heart you are to believe the scriptures and all that the scriptures have had to say about the Messiah, how he had to go, how he had to suffer and rise from the dead. It's all the way through the scriptures. God has been prophesying these events all the way through. He's been giving us evidence all the way through. And in this very story, the story of Abraham, did you see the resurrected hope? Did you see it? It was there. Listen to what Abraham says in Genesis 21, or Genesis 22, verse 4. On the day Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, he said to his servants, what? Stay here on the donkey, and the boy and I will go over there and listen to what he says. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. See, I thought he was just lying, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to worship, and we're going to come back. Knowing, right? Was he just lying? He was not lying. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says in the New Testament. He says this, uh, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. We just read about that. He said, He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God said, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Okay, follow the logic. He says, look, God promised him you're going to have a son, and it's through Isaac, the son of the promise, that you're, you'll become like this multitude of peoples. And through Isaac, the universe would be blessed. All peoples would be blessed through him, ultimately through Jesus. So it's got to come through Isaac. So he's thinking, well, now God's telling me to sacrifice Isaac. The only way this works out is resurrection. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says. Look at verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham must have thought, according to the writer of Hebrews, that, well, 
I guess God wants me to sacrifice my son. I will. And of course, he'll just think, okay, now I sacrifice him. Okay, and now he's back. It's got to be resurrection. It's the only way it makes sense to him because God promised that it's through Isaac that my children would come, that, 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 my, that generations would be blessed. It's through Isaac. The only way is resurrection. This is a foreshadowing, according to the writer of Hebrews, that our God was able to do, that our God would do what no one else could do, that God would raise the dead. In Romans chapter 4, once again, the Apostle Paul says this, talking about Abraham, saying he did not waver in unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith. He gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had, to do, had the ability to do what he promised. God had the ability to do God had the power to do what he promised. God can finish the work. So what are the promises of God that you need to believe? Some of you are Christians, but man, you just don't see it. You don't see how God could repair these family relationships. You're just like, it can't, I, I, this one's done. This, you, you, you do not know how in the world God could fix these economic crises that you are going through. That you, you do not know how the Lord is going to be able to bring a healing, a complete healing, physically or emotionally in your life. You're just thinking, I, I just don't see how it can happen. You realize our God has the power to raise the dead. I want you to know, Paul says, what? The hope, the hope, the inheritance in the saint and the power that God has, that power is like the working of his mighty strength when he rose Jesus from the dead. If he can do that, he can answer all of the problems, all of the situations. He can deal with COVID. He can deal with even death. Do you believe? Do you have resurrection hope? Abraham did, and in fact, it says this, Verse 22, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. His belief that God would raise the dead, his belief that God would send a substitute, his belief that God would take care and take away his sins, his belief in a Messiah who was to come, this belief became the credit of righteousness. Now, it wasn't that Abraham did everything wrong. We've seen how he did lots of things wrong. That's not where his righteousness came from. His righteousness came from the substitute. His righteousness came from the Messiah. His righteousness came from the one who would come to take his sins away. And he was given that righteousness when Christ, when he put his faith in Jesus Christ. Paul tells us those words were not written just for him. They were written down not for him alone, verse 23, but for us who God would give righteousness, who would credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Why? Verse 25. He was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. You're standing before God today, and you will stand before God in eternity. Where is your righteousness? It's not from your own works. You haven't been perfect. You haven't done everything right. You have not earned a place for heaven. In fact, no one could. But Jesus died in your place. He rose again, paying the penalty for your sin to justify us, to make us right with God. And today, if your faith is in him, if your faith is in the resurrected Savior, you can be forgiven. And maybe that's you today, and you're just like, man, I don't know. Jesus is king. 
Jesus has risen from the dead, and Jesus offers you eternal life. If that's you, right where you are, would you just say, yes, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, be my Savior. I'll follow you. Resurrection life just happened. If you started that relationship with him. But there are others of us today. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. But maybe resurrection hope isn't applying to you in the way it should. Not because it doesn't exist. Not because it's not there. But because you are not believing. You are not accepting that truth. You are saying, no, no, no. You don't understand. This problem's too big. This problem's too hard. This difficulty can't be overcome. You don't understand. I've been praying for years and years and years. Our God who is faithful, faithful to his promises to Abraham, is faithful to you. Our God who is faithful to his promises throughout the 2,000 years of Scripture is faithful to you. Our God who is faithful to do what he said he would do in raising Jesus Christ from the dead is faithful to you. Where are you struggling to believe? Is there something this week? Some of you are facing some pretty big things this week. Is it a family issue that you just don't know how this can be restored? God can work the miracles. Is it, is it in ministry? Is it in this church? Where are you doubting? Where are you not finding resurrection hope? Today, we're going to give you a chance to respond. Maybe you've chosen to follow Jesus for the very first time. Maybe you've said, yes, I want to follow him. Yes, I, 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 I want to make him my savior. I'll be at the front if you want to make that public and you want to say, what do I need to do next? I'd be happy to speak with you now or at the end of the service. Others of you, perhaps today, you're sort of thinking, there's an issue that I, I help me, Lord. I believe, but help my unbelief. And you just need someone to pray with you. I'll be at the front and be happy to pray with you uh, of a situation. Or maybe during this time, during this song, you just want to take it before the Lord and say, you know, on this Easter Sunday, I need to put this all in your hands. I need to put this completely, my trust in you, because my hope is found nothing else than you, Lord Jesus. You respond as God is calling you. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for being faithful to your word. Thank you for being faithful to your promises. God, we ask that you, in these few moments, uh, we just grab a hold of our hearts, that you would pull back anything that is keeping us from the hope that we should have in your son, that the centrality of our belief in him, pull it all away, that we might be yours and walk with that confidence that you are a God who is faithful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior and King. Amen.